Welcome back to the Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor K. Thank you so much for being here. For all our friends who are coming here for the first time, welcome to the Great Day Podcast. For those who have been here before, welcome back. And by the way, if you're more of a visual person, you can go see this podcast on YouTube. I have a specific, you know, channel. Well, it's the Mayor K channel. And then within that, there's a category of the podcast. You go check it out. Um, love to hear. Love to, love to hear from you. You know, leave some feedback in the comments below on the YouTube video or on the podcast itself. It's, you know, you can find it on iTunes, Google Play, Switch, wherever, uh, podcasts can be found. Please let me know. Give us a rating. I love to hear from you. So today's guest, he's an, one of my oldest and dearest friends. And it's such an honor to have him here. It's so amazing to see, to see his growth, to see him living his passion. We used to joke around back years ago. I know him for over 10 years now. You know, he's, he was going into fashion. I was going into filmmaking and videography and stuff. And we always just joked about how, you know, he would, uh, dress me when I would walk down the red carpet one day getting my Oscar. And it was just really cool to, for our lives to entwine all these years and to have him share his craft, to share his passion on my podcast today. It's really a blessing. I'm really so happy he's here. He goes by Rabbi Taylor. I know him as Yussel Tifferbrun. He's reviving a dying art form, or he's bringing it back to life, the art of bespoke tailoring. We're going to learn so much about that art form, our friendship, his story, his journey, and so much more. Please, I'm also going to talk about his amazing epic beard. How does he do it? How? <laughs> so please welcome uh, the one and only, my good friend, Yussel Tifferbrun. Yussel Tifferbrun. What is up, man? AK Rabbi Taylor. We are sitting in your workspace office. I know you have a special word you call this a atelier. Atelier. That's, where'd you pick that up? It means like a workshop studio, kind of. So that's what it is. How's a nice Jewish boy like yourself pick up such profound, uh, incredible language? Probably through um, the tailoring and traveling through my Singapore. Through Japan, okay, we're gonna get back to all, here. Okay, we'll, we'll get to you. We'll get to all your yeah. travelings and all that, all that saga. Um, do you feel though? Sometimes, I mean, you dress, you act, you have. I mean, just before we sat down, there was classical music being played in this atelier. <laughs> atelier, yeah. atelier. I know you now, yes, for I mean, good. Well, I knew you for good over fifty. I would say know you for over fifteen years, but I know you well for at least. Uh, 10 years now, yeah. right? Our 10th yeah. anniversary. What up? Yeah. Boom! Love you. You always projected a like this old soul type of you know vibe. Uh, what do you think? That, where did you get that from? I don't know. It's an old soul. It's an, it's my soul. So it's... Um, I was always, I guess, that old soul. Um, I think maybe it came from my grandfather that had that influence on me. Um, he was an artist and... What kind of art? Uh, portrait art mm -hmm. and uh, portrait oil. I think he had that influence on me. But I think the old soul is an It's either you, you're an old soul or you're not an old soul. It's, it's, uh -huh. it's not something you, it's sort of you're born with it or, it's, or you get it through over time. Do you feel like you've progressed and grown into this? I've definitely, over time, developed tastes for, for more things which are kind of, you would say, old soul. Like or how would you say music. that? Also, is my, my no. It is. I mean, it is definitely. And, and, and in fact, I, I, some of my workers that I have here as well are also that kind of older soul. Um, they appreciate classical music and jazz and, and that kind of environment. Mm. Um, so, 
Yeah, it's something that uh, it's just a part of me, and and yes, it, I guess it developed over time. It became older, I guess. <laughs> mm, you're like a Benjamin Button. Something like style. that. I don't know. <laughs> the, what I it's do. Old man who's going, yeah. yeah. The tailoring is also it's it's an old you know it's an old dying art, um, which you would usually find people in right now in their seventies, eighties, um, you know, still doing the craft. Most, you know, you don't have too many young people, especially in their twenties, um, doing tailoring. Um, it's there is a revival, but it's definitely an old craft. It's an old soul kind of craft. So, mm. so you mentioned that the you mentioned that the art of tailoring is a dying art. So, are you worried that your clientele will also be dying? Um, no, actually, just the opposite. Um, you know, I would say. Out of the last 20 clients, my last 20 clients that I've had, um, 80% are in their mid-30s, early 30s, early 40s, and even some in their late 20s. So we're talking about a pool of people that um, are developing a taste for craftsmanship and uh, that are appreciating authentic, genuine uh, experiences. I think many, you know, people that have tried different custom tailors or different different you know, um, clothiers or, or people that are selling suits and made in different countries, and you know, they take the measurements and it comes back ready made, and it's hard to really correct a a, a jacket on someone once it's already made. So people are looking, you know, they've spent two thousand dollars, twenty five hundred dollars, even three thousand dollars, and and are not happy. So they're looking for something, um, you know, more of an experience, more personal, something that's really built around them, and that's what we do here. So, you know, you have all these young clients that are that have come through the door, and um, are really, you know, going through that experience with me, which is uh, it's a lot of fun. It's mm. it's really. So what can one expect? What can one what can one expect when they come through a, a Tiffer Brun experience? What's that look like? Well, first of all, part of the tailor to client, you know, that relationship is, is something that people have always had that relationship with their tailor. It's you know, they're going to see their tailor, they're going to sit down with their tailor. So it's also very much about the space, the environment. They're coming here, spending time here. Um, it's very personal. It's a personal. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know we enjoy time together, we drink some whiskey, have coffee. I have clients that come here. Even you know, in between their their suit being made, or I have clients that come and watch their suit being made, watch me cut their jacket or, or their trousers. So it's an open space; they could actually see it being made. Generally, most you know most clients don't necessarily have the time to do that, but but um, it's an actual open space environment. They could see their clothing being made and, and the process of it. So it's very much about the relationship sure. um, with the tailor. And then what kind of experience are they getting? They are getting a suit made entirely by hand for them from the beginning to the end. Meaning client comes in, we get to know each other a little bit, we take his measurements, we choose fabric, the fabric comes, we lay the fabric um, on the table right over there. Uh Uh-huh cut the fabric incredible this is the bespoke way of this is the true bespoke way so like myself you know i've i've been purchased i've purchased custom-made suits and they're far less you know expensive i would say with than what you know fancier suits or bespoke suits are and i'm curious to know like what is 
special about a bespoke, bespoke uh, suit. What's how's that differ from a suit that I would get off a rack? In, I don't know Zara or Brooks Brothers. Okay, number one is apart from I'll talk about the fit. I'll talk about the, the choosing the fabric. I talk about everything, but from the fact that you know it's being made for you completely from scratch. You know it's built for you. That is one thing in general. And you know it's built by someone that you have a relationship with. So that's, that's something uh, in itself. Then there is obviously what it is. is a, a suit that's built for you entirely. And what does it mean handmade? It, it means that it's been molded for you. A lot of the work in a bespoke suit is, is in the inside, the canvassing, the construction of it that you wouldn't see. The client would see it during the fitting. He would see the different parts of it. But it's the kind of like the build-up and the way it's made and the way it's constructed and, and the shrinking with the iron and the stretching with the iron and um, it's the molding. All that goes into developing something three-dimensional. So it flows in harmony with the body because... Mm. It's so true. I've seen your, I mean, I've seen the behind the scenes of one of your suits being made. And it was incredible that you had like these paddings and places that I'd never seen before in other types of suits. Like the way it fit the chest and the shoulders and how it really molds to the body. And yet you don't lose any flexibility from like... Just the opposite. Just yeah, the, right. Yeah. Just the opposite, exactly. What defines a bespoke suit? So what defined bespoke originally was that it had to be made within a square mile of Savile Row. A Savile Row. Yeah, that was, they had the word, it was the fabric and the, the, the suit was spoken for, bespoken, spoken for the client. Mm. It meant it was made entirely for the client, entirely by hand. That was the old method, that was the method of, of tailoring. And then, you know, over the years, you know, everybody's taken the word bespoken and, and you know, bespoke light bulbs and bespoke paper and bespoke, well, you name it. But, but bespoke came from tailoring. And over here, we do it the same exact way how it was done back then. Back then. And you actually learned your craftsmanship on Salvo Row. Yes. So tell me more about that, that experience. So that was around eight years ago, eight and a half, nine, eight years ago, somewhere around So there. you're like, I want to learn this craftsmanship. I'm going to go to the source. I'm going to go to where it all started. Yes, exactly. Uh, I, actually, I actually had um, ideas of wanting to be a fashion designer. Ah. Uh, a women's kind of evening couture kind of following Alexander McQueen. And Alexander McQueen started off on Savile Row. So he had his first few years on Savile Row. And I believe that's where he, he developed his craft, and, and his, which, which a lot of his, his work, his work was, was around tailoring, like tailoring gowns and tailoring, uh, you know, different... It was a lot about around the craft. So I kind of loved him as a, as a designer, and I kind of followed that path. I felt like I could sketch fine, but I wanted to understand what I'm sketching. And, and then, you know, so obviously I went knocking on all the doors of Savile Row, asking them if they took an apprentice... Um, I'm, a young, I'm a young rabbi. Just um, that. Um, yeah, I just, I just knocked, I just, just knocked on the door and got one no, and then went to the next door and got another no. And after like 20 no's, I was like uh, feeling really, you know, should I continue? And I continued. And what pushed you to keep on going? This, what is, you, yeah, this well, is what I wanted to do. What you know, the store is there. What is what's going to start? You know, okay, I just have to push myself to go in and just ring the bell because a lot of the doors in Savile Row are closed. You got to ring the bell. They got to uh, open it, um, 
And so, you know, it's it's actually it's actually a lot harder because you got to ring the bell, you got to wait for someone to come in. That waiting period is a lot more intimidating. And then, you know, they answer the door especially for you. Sure. And then you ask them what you you know, you take apprentices or, you know, and tell them about yourself and and then you get the no and you felt like, okay, you know, he you know, and you know, there was someone nice about it, some, you know, it's Savile Row, it's London, it's very posh, you know. Some were very nice about it. Some weren't as nice, and yeah. uh, especially you know, I'm a religious guy. I look like a like a religious man, and, and so yeah, that was that was interesting. And so I found out about a tailoring course, which a lot of the companies were uh, connected with, and uh, I went to that. And then I realized after six months that this is not gonna not gonna be it. So I uh, went back. Wow, went back. There was one company that had their own tailoring academy. And I applied for that, got accepted. And which, then, which academy was that? It's called the Savile Row Academy. It's run by Professor Andrew Ramroop, which Andrew is a master tailor. He he owns Morris Sedwell, which is number 19 Savile Row. So I, you know, I had met him earlier on. He recognized me. I got accepted to the academy. And then after like a month in the academy, he took me on as his apprentice. Fantastic. Um, so yeah. I would continue under the academy and, and then in the French shop. And practice as well and at the under shop. Yeah. And beginning, what kind of uh, what, what kind of apprenticeship was it? Just a simple little... It was uh, everything. It was, you know, making him coffees every day. Croissant runs, you know, uh-huh. and fixing light bulbs and hoovering and, and uh, cleaning up. And, and obviously preparing fittings and taking what I've learned in the academy and and at the same time bringing it into the French shop. So it was it was a very hands-on experience because you know you could you could learn something in an academy and then it's hard to really picture it because you know when you're in school for instance and you're learning anything it's hard to actually picture it real life until you get your internship. So here I was actually doing both at the same time. So it was very it was like a double it was like a double amount of experience because I was taking it there and actually bringing it into reality. Yeah, a room away. Yeah, so that was. Uh, yeah, I would do everything. Pat collars, deal with uh, clients, make them tea. You know, make them coffee, uh, answer the door. Which, by the way, just from the from, from hearing and listening to what you're saying, that in itself, what may seem like just like a meal, like little jobs, getting coffee, talking to clients, but part of the bespoke experience, it seems like, is to have this personal connection. Absolutely. To learn how to talk, how to be there, how to be yeah. present yeah. with the person. So it doesn't just start and end with the suit itself, but rather once they arrive and all that dialogue and all that connection. So And you had, you had customers coming from Malaysia and they're Rolls Royce. They just got off their private jet and they enter. You had... Yeah, celebrity clients that would come up, you know, mm-hmm. there was one in particular that I had no idea who he was, and I answered the door, he asked if Andrew was in, and I said he wasn't in, but I didn't know who he was, yeah. but he was like the most famous cricketer ever, <laughs> and so he said, yeah, sure, I'll pop by, I'll come by soon when he's around, and he was walked off with, and, How do you uh, know and that? The, the tailors at the back said, do you know who that is, that's like, you know, it's... You know, um, Brian Lara. So, he, so I was like, no, I, you know, I didn't know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you had you had Fantastic. all these very interesting, coming very amazing experiences. You did touch on, and I want to explore that a bit more because it's interesting to see how you ended up in bespoke tailoring. When you mentioned that you got into this, the passion really started from fashion, and that's just fashion, but women's fashion. Where, how did that journey from women's fashion? Being a rabbi, all that conflict, and t- let's bring us back to that time when, you know, you were 
figuring that out and how it led you to, to where you are today? I always wanted to, from a young child, I wanted to design. I wanted to have my own brand. Clothing. Clothing. Once I have my own clothing. Where did that start? Did you saw something in a magazine? You saw no, I don't know. I don't know. I, it, just was, it was a young age, maybe 9, 10, 11. very young age. That was what my dream was. And did you feel have. like it was different and unique or weird because you were in, like, in yeshiva? You grew up in an orthodox, ultra-orthodox home? No. 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 No, I didn't see any... I didn't... I was too young to, to, to understand what would... If there would be... You know, what would be the setbacks or what would... Why I couldn't do it? I, I was just—that's what I wanted to do, and that's what I, you know, planned on doing. And I just, on that thought, it just blows. It just—it's so interesting when you, I hear that. It's like as children, we just like there isn't any if buts or maybes. There's like this pure, unadulterated confidence and love, and like, yeah, what's why can I do it? Yeah. This this amazing just like focus that we have, like. I want to do this and I'll get it done. And then throughout life, there's like these journeys of no's that come away and blockades that yeah. put a lot of doubt on that journey. It's funny because you know my daughter it was a you know she was watching a video, and uh, my daughter's three. And Beautiful, um, yeah, you have you have you have two children, huh? Two children, yeah, yeah. And so she was watching and there's one you know these on, uh, on these videos on YouTube, so, yeah. A Mary Kay video. Um, it wasn't. Not, uh, uh, I don't know what it was. It was. Uh, it was. Um, Fireman Sam, oh, something like that. But, okay. but so one of the advertisements there was um, there was a, a girl skateboarding or something, and on a pink skateboard. So this young three-year-old wants a pink skateboard, and she wants to go skateboarding. So you know, one day maybe you know we we'll get our skateboard, but she wants to go skateboarding now, and she's saying skateboarding, and she wants a pink skateboard. But that's a very young dream, as she's three. But I, I had, I had some sort of. But just dream. like that, if I call you out, a small little dream that she just has. But if we look back in psychology, a lot of our thing, a lot of our wants and needs and passions come from very young, young age. You're right. And it's like I'm not going to tell you how no, to parent no, your no, children. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I plan on getting her. A and it's beautiful. Something. And at the same time, it's like you know, it could be in a certain sense, like oh, you know, I'm sort of writing it off. But it also could be a way of exploration. You know, who knows why she is connected to this thing? Maybe I'm just putting too much weight to it. And at the same time, it could be something which would be very passionate. And the first, you know, Absol- who knows? Absolutely. Absolutely. Where things come I, from. I agree with you. I agree with you. So, Ariella, if you grow up and you listen to this, you become like this major skateboarder, you know why. Uncle Mayor hooked you <laughs> up right there. <laughs> so, take me back. So, you're at a very young age, you're interested in, in fashion and in, in that design. And so you're six, but as you grew older, how did that uh, how did that come into actuality? So I would I would always dress differently. I would always well, differently. I would always push my boundaries in in, in what I wore. Even in yeshiva, in yeshiva, you in had yeshiva, to wear white shirt, black pants. How yeshiva, do you change that? When up? I was thirteen, when I was fifteen, I I would you know let's just put it this way. I would have a little bit of not friction, but you know with my mom, I would have not friction, but it was. It was, you know, she... Don't she, speak freely. Your mom, I don't think we'll hear yeah, this Yeah, it's fine. It's <laughs> no, totally, yeah, it's totally cool. Um, she would, you know, she would expect, you know, as, a, as from a religious family, you know, she would expect us to be in check, you know, because, you know, worried how other people look at us and how, we, how we're seen by others. And it's, it's, it's how it is always in communities. And, and you're the oldest parents. And, and I'm sure maybe I'll be like that, you know what I mean? But hopefully not. But but uh, it's up to you. It's yeah, up so to me. It's really. up to you. And you're also the oldest of a bunch of, of siblings, right? Yes, I'm the oldest of so, ten. I'm the oldest of ten. So so I wow. yeah. So it was it was very much. I had to you know I was the oldest and I was looked at and I had to set an example. 
Um, but when it came to clothing, I, I you know, those 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 boundaries that I felt like I needed to push and I wanted to push, and I didn't feel like there were boundaries that I had to push. It's just that I, you know, I wanted that shoe, I wanted that suit, and I liked it. I wanted it, and I would, you know, convince, and I, I would eventually get it, and then, mm-hmm. you know, and very from very early on, I would stop buying my own clothes. You know, fourteen years old, you know, I was I was buying my own clothes, but I had my I remember. My mother bought me my first three-piece suit when I was nine. So um, I had little suspenders as well. Mm. And I would take care of my clothing. I would really... When I got a new suit, I would come home from Shaw, from synagogue, and change out of that suit, put like an older suit on or, or you wow. know, a casual pair of trousers and a white shirt and hang that back in the closet and if it was shoes, take it out, put it back in the box. Wow. Um, and so I seemed, I mean, I was the total opposite. I was going, I, my parents didn't trust me to a suit until I was like bar mitzvah and even then I was like ripping them and sweating them like, yeah. Right, so that, that taking care of the clothing was, was like for me clothing, I don't know, there was something about it that I would take care of it. I would, and and even till today, obviously, I mean, I, um, you know, I have my, for instance, you know, I have a wedding hat that, that is five years old that is in perfect condition, absolutely perfect condition. And, and a lot of, you know, I would, if I kept all my clothing from, from back then, they would be in perfect condition. Mm. I mean, that's, that's how I, so I, I developed this, this, you know, this taste going, going on and in clothing and, um. I enjoyed uh, shopping and you know getting a new suit every so it was every Pesach or every you know twice a year once a year whatever it was and it was an experience it was special for me it was something uh, it was uh, something special and you know then I went to yeshiva went to France went to Israel that's yeah. where I met you yeah, that's right yeah, that's where we met for the first time in Israel that's where we met sure. for the first time and, and, right. and uh, 18 yeah. now we're 29 now yeah Zach. yeah yeah beautiful so, uh, did, when you shared your, I'm going to talk about Israel. Did you share your vision? Do you remember that time you shared it with your parents that you wanted to perhaps get into fashion? Because we're, I mean, you go to yeshiva, right? Yeah. We go into, we're, it's sort of, it's, it conditions us to be shluchim, to be rabbis. And we both got our degrees, our biblical degrees later on. Um, and your parents, your, your dad's, you know, a, a, a cantor. You know, he's, he's, he's an artist himself and he's part of a, and your mom is, uh, what's, your, what's your mom doing? My um, dad, actually, my mom actually makes these beautiful arrangements. For instance, Purim, but there's like a companies in the UK, yeah, um, these these uh, companies that prepare these wine with chocolates, the, all these little, little packages, little packages, gift but they're insane right Beautiful. now. They're not just little packages; they could go up to a thousand, fifteen hundred pounds a package. Oh, wow. you know, and people are buying them, and not just for Purim or, or for Jewish holiday. You're talking about on a weekly basis. Someone oh has gosh. a baby; people are outdoing each other with different packages. So she designs um, it. So she puts them together yeah. and designs them. Beautiful. And with, with oh, so your no, your family is no stranger to 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 art and to design no, and to no, no. So when you shared this to, with your parents, who what was their reaction? Well, I, I guess they they heard about it from young. They they knew I had this this kind of passion. Maybe they didn't really understand it, and and then it was actually in middle of yeshiva when I was when I was going to go to New York, and I must have been turned. Maybe nineteen, uh, something like that. Yeah, nineteen. 19 makes sense, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was going to go to New York, and I was on the fence. You know, I was having a summer in LA, great summer with a bunch of guys, and in a you know we had a day camp. And I felt like you know what, maybe I should just go to fashion school. This is what I want to do. You know, 
why continue in yeshiva if I want to be a fashion designer? What's it going to help me? And I had this little struggle, and my parents convinced me, you know, they, they thought it was a good idea if I continued continued in, in the system, you know, continued finished, finishing yeshiva up. And, um, and that's what I did. And that's what I did. And I don't regret that for a minute. Um, they were right. Um, they were definitely right because I'm here today because of that path that I took. And you know, sometimes you don't, you, you know, you zoomed in, you don't see it, but you got to right. zoom out. And, sure. And so they, I guess, you know, as parents, they, they, um, in this case, they probably knew they knew better. And um, so I went, I went to that yeshiva. Um, it was a great year. On the side, I would sketch around different, you know, during the learning, I would, I would sketch. Hmm. And uh, that was the year before we went to Singapore. Actually, yeah. Together. Right. Yeah, so it was it was that year, but at the same time, I had these dreams, and I knew that I'm going to do it at some point. I just it was just kind of continuing this took some time to process this journey. And I had to finish this journey, um, you know, go through the years of yeshiva, and and uh, then take it from there. And and it was that year that we went to Singapore together. Yeah, I I remember in Singapore, and I found that to be really cool, and I, I admired that you while we were we were went about, we went down to Singapore. We're supposed to, it was a one-year program. We turned it into a two-year program, and it was going so well. And um, I had a passion for video and whatnot, and I was inspired by you. I never took action in it. but and I made my videos in Singapore, but you actually took time, especially in that second year, to take courses, take classes in design. And it was very interesting to see the progression of of your of this world of, of fashion design that you've taken upon yourself because initially, like you shared, it started off with women's fashion. And then uh, I remember you coming back and you went into interior design. And it was like the struggle, it seemed like, for you to, and I'd love for you to hear your perspective. From my perspective, it was like, you're just trying to make this work in, in a kosher sort of setting because, mm-hmm. you know, women's fashion, it's neist and it's modest, and I don't know if I could do that, but you want it to still be designed. So you went into interior, you went into design around uh, 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 furniture. And I remember still today, I don't know if you still have it, but you remember that love seat that you had? It was a really cool love seat that you created out of wood. That it was um, these two seats that balance the shape of the heart, shape of shape of um, a, a, a male and a female. Mm, that's what it was—a male and a female—and it took two preps to sit in it, and it balanced each other. It was like this little, you know, uh, what is it called? What are they called? Um, it, was a, it was like a it was a seat, like a seesaw see, kind seesaw, of, yeah, seesaw, yeah, which which. Type. Which you know when you know it would it would balance each other out, yeah. Yeah, and I thought that was so innovative and so beautiful, and 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 yet that didn't satisfy you, right? It, that didn't fill fill the need of design. Here I am telling you, but yeah. So tell me what that like what that process looked like from from wanting this want from women's fashion and going through design to here you are with Bestoke men's sure. tailoring, and has the design for women's fashion died? Was still in there within you. But so first, that's a lot to. That's a lot to. Yeah, it's a lot. So okay, so I start off that you know, as we were in Singapore, what we were we were doing in Singapore, we were we were you know helping volunteering for the community. Um, well, I don't know what we call volunteering per se. I mean, it was sort of yeah, we got paid a monthly salary. We got paid. A, well, it was more like a tip. Yeah, yeah we got paid yeah. a tip. We got paid a tip. Uh, How did you spend your money? Um, not like you spent it. I spent it on you spent, clothing. Right. So it's funny to see. Right. You spent your money on clothing. I saved that money up pretty much for traveling. But that's, yeah. I'll be my own podcast. But so, yeah, yeah. You saved so, it. So and I you, saved it and I spent it on clothing. Yeah. yeah I had a new suit. You, yeah. You literally came back a different time with shoes and suits. Yeah. Yeah. That was, you know, that's, that's, that's me. That's, you that's and Yudi. Yudi also. Yudi yeah, also. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, we were together. It was you, yeah. Yudi, and Mandy. Yeah. And we were helping the community doing, you know, all sorts of, uh, um, 
great activities for teens, for students, for, for young professionals, for the community. We became party planners, and, uh, yeah. and at the same time, we were studying to become rabbis. We were. And we were, being, we were rabbis to, to, to a, a huge amount of people, all sorts of people, yeah, kids, we, and, and, and we were rabbi figures. And uh, over time, we, we, you know, I, I, I guess it rubbed up on me, and I really started enjoying that, too. And, and I didn't believe that I would be a rabbi. I didn't, at some point, you know, I, wanted, I looked at myself as a fashion designer. I didn't think I would, I would, I would be, I want to be a practicing rabbi. But something along the, that path, it really kind of, you know, I fell in love with that kind of... Um, it woke something up within you. Yeah, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, I actually started seeing myself potentially, I could do this, you know, mm. full time at some point. And at the same time, obviously, I didn't, I had this, these passions for, for clothing and for design. And Singapore was a great start, you know. We, it was something that actually we, we decided to stay a second year. So I made a deal with the community that I would, yes, that I would right. go and study. But... So I had this kind of, how should I do it? Should I do fashion? But now I'm, a, I'm becoming a rabbi, and I have this, this part to live up to. And, and women's fashion, if I go to fashion school, you know, the atmosphere, the people, and the design, I, I felt like it was, it was a struggle. It would be a struggle um, for me. And um, I wasn't sure if, I, if that was the right path to take. And maybe I could take something which was, right, like you said, more kosher more balanced and I went and I started studying um, interior design nice part of the interior design was furniture design so I did you know prospective drawing and CAD and the the that I made that love seat for my, for right. my furniture. I remember you actually used this uh, one of your excuses. We had we had in this apartment of three rooms, yeah, and um, it was four of us, and there was like this one big room which two Mendy and Nudi two guys were in, and then there was this middle room, a small room, and then there was this large room which its own private bathroom, and then that room was taken by Biamin, uh Stone. A fifth gentleman that he left um, after some time. So that room was vacant. And so it came down to Mendy and Judy were fine staying in their own room. And it came down to me and you deciding who's going to get that big room. And somehow you decided that you're going to claim this room. I, I decided the minute he left. That you needed a space. I decided that, 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 you know, I'm studying now. I felt like I could do with that space. Yeah. I ran it by you know whoever it was. Uh, it didn't make rabbi. more sense but in the long run. You had a lot but, more stuff. Than but I, I had like a whole desk there that I could do my drawing. You need more clothing than me. You needed more closet space. I get it. Yeah, the closet space I wasn't <laughs> worried about. It was actually the fact that there was a desk there right. that I was able to set aside time to to do my draw. It was a lot of drawings I had to do. You know, develop different different things. But I, I found like I found like I was putting fashion, bringing fashion into my drawing, into my into interior design. And I realized, like, what am I doing? Uh, you know, I'm designing a room for uh, designing an apartment. You yeah. know, because we all had to for a project design an apartment, a certain square foot, square meter. And uh, I chose to design it after Oscar de la Renta, you know, which was also one of my favorite designers. And and you know, I designed this lampshade in one of his, you know, out of like a woman's kind of dress a gown, kind of an evening gown with like an umbrella, and that was the lamp. Mm. And that was in the master bedroom, and I designed this awesome bookcase, which I'm not going to say right now because I want to do it at some point. Mm. But it was connected with a designer, and there was fashion, fashion, fashion. And I realized that who am I kidding? I want to do fashion. Yeah, I have to do fashion, and that's when I, you know, I finished the, the, that that course, and I started taking some some fashion illustration courses on the side, 
And then I landed myself a internship at Harper's Bazaar magazine. Wow, incredible. Yeah, which was awesome. And that was the end of Singapore, the last few months. Yeah. And uh, I did two months, two and a half months at uh, Harper's Bazaar, you know, you know, helping them with... What's Harper's Bazaar for those who don't know? Harper's Bazaar is one of, one of the leading fashion magazines in the world. In Singapore, it was one of the top, for sure. And I was working under the, the editor-in-chief. Uh, it was a great experience. Yeah. I was on the shoots. I was on, uh, and I was focused more on the men's side, but also helping with the layout of the magazine, helping the editor directly. And, and it was very interesting. It was a great experience. And there I had the first, I would say, the first openly Jewish experience, in a, meaning I was in a non-Jewish environment, a secular environment, um, surrounded by people that are not Jewish, which you say you had the influence, had the potential to influence me in certain directions yes. and way. But there I was with my kippah, with my yarmulke, and uh, and everybody, you know, it was, you know, I went and had lunch actually with 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 the workmates, and I bought my own lunch in silver foil. You know, everybody was having these really cool, you know, great food, which which I love. You know, yeah. like Indian food or local Malay food, you to keep kosher, Singaporean and food. It was amazing, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I unwrapped my silver foil um, <laughs> tuna sandwich, tuna sandwich, exactly. <laughs> and and uh, and you know, and I was there, openly Jewish, proud Jewish. And and it was it was great because it was it was it was that was my first you know um, step I think forward that I can do this that mm-hmm. it can work as you are there's no reason for it that you if, could show up as you are as a religious Orthodox you know Jew rabbi yeah and at the same time do what you love and do what they lo- do what I love and and then there should be no reason um, why anything should change if you you know showing that you know you this is who you are and um, and they respected that, and that was my first. Hey, you know, this is this can work. An interesting point that you mentioned, and I wanted to bring just bring some value to that. You were saying that you were in interior design school, and you were there, like trying to maybe even fool yourself and tell yourself that this is maybe something I could do. But yet, even though you were in this world of design and creation, it still didn't feed that passion, that hunger within you. And I find that so so many times in life, we fool ourselves. And we have a certain dream and goal, but we think, ah, it's not possible, or we can't do it. And we write it off, or we try to trick, our, trick ourselves by doing something that's close to it. So we go 70, 80%, maybe 90%. And we're in the world, we're engrossed in it, but yet there's still that little bit. We're not fully at 100%. And that eventually catches up with us and we realize there's something missing, something missing. And it's only until we align ourselves with our true passion, with our true calling, do we feel fully empowered to move forth and, and really hit the, hit the goals and, and the places that we really want to be. Amazing. Yeah, it's so true. Really, really true. And that's, 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 that's how I felt. It was, there was something missing. It was just wasn't, you know, I wasn't achieving, I wasn't satisfied. And I realized, like, you know, who am I falling in? I got I to gotta do what I need to do. Incredible. So you got you. You were working for the magazine, and you landed this. Um, so you went back home, and then you. So landed. then I went back home, I, and I to London, and um, it was actually I was going to work for a company, a local company there. Yeah. Which over my time, I did go to different fashion shows in Singapore. Yeah. And, um, Remember that we go local. back, we come back from like learning or doing a project, and like where was Yussel? Yussel was out at some fashion week. He was there <laughs> checking out the dresses, checking out the fashion. It was uh, it was cool. It was interesting. Yeah, that's yeah, that's we, what, yeah yeah that's what I did on, on my spare time. But obviously it wasn't. 
in Fashion Week because Singapore does have, you know, they they have their Fashion Week, and mm-hmm. there was uh, some local families in the community that that owned a brand and 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 had the rights to many different brands, and they were very a part of this yeah. Singapore Fashion Week. I think it's important to give a nod towards the Singapore community, uh, the Jewish Singapore community that we were volunteering with because they were so open-minded, they were so welcoming to our personalities and I think that's what was such a great fit with us is that they, you know, we, they understood our capacity to being leaders and teaching schools and, and giving classes and being rabbis and at the same time allowing, for example, yourself to, you know, express this passion of yours. And to grow in our own way. Yeah, I think, and they're yeah, very supportive. 100%, 100%. I was surrounded by... Shout out to Singapore! Shout out to Singapore, to, to the yeah, to all the to everybody in the community. Um, they were great mentors and, and great uh, personalities to have around. Yeah. You're talking about ambitious people. You're talking about people that have did great things, achieved great things, and that's why they're there in Singapore, representing right. companies um, from all over the world. And uh, it was a great, you know, it was a great energy to be around, and yeah. it motivated you um, they were to aspire hungry. to yeah. be. To be at that level, uh, uh, and 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 then you know we had dreams, and you had you know, what you did, and uh, the videos, and and they and you performed for them, and yeah. and they loved it, and they were really supportive, and I had you know this fashion dream that I would, you know I had one family that on on Sundays, uh, maybe not on Sundays, but they would they would like, every so often I would go to them on a Sunday, they would cook me a curry lunch mm-hmm. dinner. And, you and your curry. Which I loved and which I developed in Singapore. Yeah. And they would they would um record the project runway and we would watch it together. Oh, fantastic. And they were so supportive till today. Till today. And a shout out to Andrew Lim. Yeah. And family, Andrew and we Andrew. Literally- yeah. yeah, we were literally listening to Andrew Lim as I walked in to your to your atelier. I'm, I'm never Atelier, been, yeah. Atelier. Andrew was on the radio. Yeah, so so I listened to to so to the radio station through Sonos speakers. I listened to Singapore radio station, which which Andrew is is um, produces the, the show, yeah. and he's an MC in the morning. Yeah, he's just a rock star because he even hooked us up with like sh- tickets to shows in Singapore. He knew I was. I he was, was so supportive. So of you supportive. Too, yeah. yeah, he was in. The, he's in the entertainment world over there, exactly. and so he was. Yeah, always you, asking, give me tips. You did a gig one time. You did that. I did a gig one time. Exactly, yeah. Andrew. What a guy, and Angie and the whole family. Yeah, he hooked me up. I, I, I was, a, I was a whoopee. Yeah. I was a whoopee for a, uh, a a TV show that they had, and I was the guy that before and between breaks to like go and pump up with the crowd, and MC, motivate. It was a really great experience. I had the whole headset, and it was it was so interesting because they were the producer were talking to me in my ear as I had to project and talk to the audience. It was awesome. It was a really great experience, and that was all thanks to, thanks to, to Andrew Nagy. So they were great, people. and they're yeah, like you mentioned. We were running the different programs, entertaining, entertaining on the weekends, on Shabbos, on Friday nights, the different hands-on programs that we did. Right. So there was one, actually one in particular, that, that I think suddenly some skills and developed, I mean, that I realized that I had because we had to do backdrops yeah. for a pouring party yes. from the, the Wild Exodus. West or the Exodus as well. And, yeah. and there I find myself painting huge backdrops, you yeah. know, feet and feet of, yeah, and of all different things and uh, that's you know the art came out and so I think it was, it was yes it was absolutely Singapore and the community that helped us develop you know at least give us the foundations and the motivation yeah 
to to go ahead and, and achieve what we you know what we need to do. It is interesting to look back, you know, because you know, as they say, like when you're in it, if things are hard and you feel like it's the end, it's just not the end. Keep on going. So there's some tough times and rough times. And if you look back on journeys, right, like you think like, oh, you maybe 18, 19, you were thinking about not going on to yeshiva. Your parents convinced you to go. But it is how cool it is to look back and. As we get real older, or we just get mature, more aware to see like these little, you know, breadcrumbs that all led to this. You know, I learned something here, I learned something there, a connection here, a conversation here that they all mold and grow and are part of like this mosaic that we call self. That's amazing. You gotta just we unfortunately we I think we don't generally do this, but but uh, we're doing it right now. We're going back and reflecting, but but uh, you gotta yeah you gotta go back and and you gotta go through that journey and. And look back and see where you where you started and who was there and and who picked you up in those times and there was one one time in particular that that um, when I was going to work for this local Singaporean company I was going to have an internship there mm-hmm. after the yes. magazine right. and it fell I through mean, right yeah. you're bummed and I was completely bummed yeah I was I that, that was that for me I was like okay I'm going to continue on in Singapore which I loved I was going to work for. A, for one of the local companies and that was going to be my fashion you know that was my entry um, I was completely bummed but thank God thank God that didn't happen because you know my journey started from there my real journey in, in the craft of tailoring so I think back to that time and what now the a big I mean you've turned yourself into this now Rabbi Taylor right Rabbi Taylor two sort of it seems like two different distinct worlds and you're fusing them together how does you know the, the rabbi and the tailor come together through the work that you're doing? Well, I would say first of all, it started. It's the rabbi tailor kind of, you know, this combination um, in actual wording, you know, on on social media or whatever. It came along because I was at this event. I happened to, well, it was a tailoring event in in London as an apprentice. I I was not supposed to go. And Why were you supposed to go? Because you know it was it was for the tailors and oh, for okay. those that that um, um, took part in the show and and a young apprentice uh, I was not part of that uh, invite you mm-hmm. know I was not part of that you know the tailors went right. my boss went you have your place in turn uh, yeah it's your place there. as an apprentice so how'd you end up now, sh- one of the tailors couldn't make it I took the place <sighs> and, HP baby and then you know I was there I was wearing this red this like burgundy. As you can see, is my favorite. I love burgundy. These Everything. walls are painted. I have, you know, burgundy socks. I have a burgundy yarmulke. I, there's always something on me that's burgundy. But I had a burgundy triple. This little hat, and I had a burgundy bow tie, and I had this vintage that I got for maybe like you know 25 pounds. This vintage double-breasted one uh, was it uh, one and four um, button closed, and I was there. At the, uh, and after at the at the event. And after the event, um, I was there standing around. They had cocktails. And the GQ editor, um, his name was Nick Carvel. Yeah. And he took a picture of me and he wrote, best dressed goes to, at the event, went to Rabbi, t- Rabbi Ann Taylor. Or Rabbi, yeah, Rabbi Ann Taylor at the company that was. So it was actually Yuri that messaged me. He saw it on the Instagram yeah. of GQ. Right. And then, he, and then the editor knocked on the next day and said, you know, you, you know have you seen... And, you know, the company were very happy because I mentioned the company that I was in. And that's when I started the Rabbi Taylor thing as as a social media. And then I got many interviews and I was in Time Out London and different articles. But in actuality, the being a Rabbi Taylor is when I got married 
I moved away, you know, I left Savile Row. I got married to my wife who's from New York. And we decided to, New York wasn't going to happen and London wasn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. So we decided to make Singapore happen. Amazing. And I had developed a connection with a tailor, a local tailor there in Singapore. And I, we made it happen. I was going to work as a rabbi for the community and as a tailor. There you so go. The fusion I, of worlds. The fusion of worlds. And, <clears> I, <throat> and I actually did it. I actually, um, w you know, I ran services. I, um, I did Friday night dinners for 180 people. It was rocking. We loved it. We had, we had a we had a growing young community with kids, with children, and and they were active, and and it was so much fun. But at the same time, I had a nine to five tailoring job, and I felt like. It was getting to a point that both were growing tremendously, and especially the rabbi part was growing and growing, and they wanted me to be there full-time, to quit the tailoring, and to be a full-time rabbi. And and I had to decide, and that was a little challenging. That was, it was a little challenging. It was very challenging, because I, I enjoyed both, and I, yeah. loved, I loved it. I, was, I really loved it. I really enjoyed every part of being a rabbi, and building relationships with so many right. really cool people, cool. young families and uh, expats, a lot of expats from, from, you know, from obviously the States, from America, from South Africa, Australia, and you meet the most incredible people. Yeah. Being an expat, surrounded by expats, is a certain family, and you connect with people in a whole different way. You make friendships that you can never make anywhere else. So where the rabbi, you know, where the rabbi Taylor actually you know, fused together. Came fused together. together. In reality, it was it was in Singapore. We moved back. Um, we got married here in New York, and and um, we moved back to Singapore. And I was pra a practicing rabbi, and I worked for a company, uh, a tailoring company, from nine to five. So I was doing these two jobs. Um, and you know, there's no such thing as part time rabbi. You know, if you're a rabbi, you're a rabbi. You know, twenty four seven. You're you're you know you're there for people. Um, you're building relationships with people and you're always there on call. So I felt like I was, I had this, you know, I was, had this nine to five job, but then I, as a tailor, and that was growing as well. And then over my, you know, and, the, and then um, the community were growing and we were doing these incredible events and Friday night dinners and had, you know, 150 to 200 people. It was a lot of fun, incredible experience with so many really interesting and incredible people right. but I felt like it was it was a challenge because I couldn't I, I had to decide it was a rabbi or tailor mm -hmm. um, full time because the community wanted me to, to continue uh, on as a full time rabbi and so I was up with this challenge and I didn't want to give up my dreams of fashion and I felt like as a rabbi doing tailoring I felt like that that has um, you know it has a story to it but it also has that uh, that potential to to you know make a difference as well to many other people globally, yeah. And I felt like I had to make that jump, and that's when I moved back to 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 New York. But but I was in in, in Singapore actually a rabbi, and it and it actually it worked both because I had you know I had clients that came to show um, random you know I had Jewish people that came into the shop for a suit that had no idea anything about the community. Mm. And then they ended up coming to the, to the show, uh, you know, to the synagogue on Friday evening. So you were recruiting through your work So I was well. recruiting f 
through my work as a tailor, but then I also the other the other way around. I made suits for quite a few of my congregants, and nice. quite, so it worked. The relationship worked very well, but it was just it was growing tremendously, and I had to had to decide which. Yeah. What way and to tailoring and tailoring in fashion one and tailoring fashion one. You know, we we well, also wanted to come. I guess not only black and white, right? It's yeah, not. Yeah. It it's wasn't like it won. It was. Yeah. You know, I'm still a rabbi. I, I'm I'm practicing religious Jewish man. Now I have my own company. Now I'm able to meet so many people from all different parts of the world, and also have a platform and and still, you know, sure, be that rabbi for people. I have clients that call me rabbi. You know, that's. That's how they go. Rabbi, when's my suit ready? You know, and uh, not even necessarily Jewish clients. Sure. So it's um, yeah, it's it's combining the two. That, that's how I feel like that's how life is. You know, you have a magnificent beard. I feel like it has even have its own Instagram account. <laughs> the uh, beard itself, though, wasn't always this long and fashionable. Though there was a time where it was uh, a way way smaller. What what changed? Was there a transition? Was there a time where you decided to own up to a certain rabbinical status or a certain lifestyle that you know progressed over time, and you felt like okay, this is something that I can own and, and step into? Yeah. So you know, obviously, you know, years. This is this beard has been around. I'd say five and a half, six six years, five and a half years in growing. Yeah, literally. I would always you know take care of it early on manicure it a little bit and then I you know I I decided that you know I'm gonna roll with it because it was obviously as it's, it was growing it was getting out of control and I had to many religious people Jewish people that don't necessarily keep their beards which is fine you know I'm Chabad and uh, you know the beard represents 13 attributes of mercy and there is a lot of blessings and and I felt like you definitely got a lot of blessing right there, my man. I felt like I could, you know, I felt like I just got to go with it. And the beard started; it was growing. You know, it was, you know, five six years ago, it was very small, and I was able to kind of fit into different areas and kind of pull off different looks. And I was able to wear a bow tie, and you know, six, seven, eight years ago, and you know, I was I had no beard. It was, it was. Then it, it started growing more and more, and then there was this wild stage. It was actually at the time when I, when I was engaged, and it, yeah, it was super awkward. It was it was like an awkward stage, <laughs> and and I, it was tough. It was difficult. It was yeah. a challenge to keep it, to keep it, to 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 roll with it. Was that something you your know, wife do I, had something to do I with think that? Or? My wife definitely had supported me mm-hmm. on keeping it, okay, because it was a challenge. I was you know should I should I cut it? You know should I take it? Should I take it off? You know. Right. So what drove I felt you? Like I, I look better, you know, in my days without it. You know, I, yeah. I, yeah, you know, I was how um, you were looking, and you know, for social media, etc. But I kind of was able to just go on, go with it, and then it got to a stage where I was okay. This is it, and it was, and I was rocking it. I was, you know, I got some wax, I got some beard wax before it became like a really. Mm. Really big thing and the industry and itself. You put product, you know, what's yeah, your, absolutely. I, 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 it's a whole. I'm sure it's uh, it's a daily routine. it's a daily you know it's a daily thing a morning thing. You know, I condition it every morning and and I have a certain wax that I that I've been using for 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 five and a half years now. Nice. And uh, you ever thought of starting your own line? 
I have, I yeah. have, but I there's so many things. So yeah, many. things. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm building this business, and we've gotten all incredibly busy. But that's something that, you know, if I had a manager or something, I had. But but it's something that I want to do at some point. You totally, know, definitely. What do you think it was that? I mean, besides the look and the aesthetics of it, what drove you to decide to take on this new uh, this new lifestyle? Well, it was a lifestyle. It was more of a. It was happening. It was. It was happening. It was growing, and I just had to decide to keep it or not to keep it. And I felt like you know, at some point, I, I, I when I was when I was in this wild stage, I felt like um, I'm going to do it. And my wife was very supportive, and that was helpful, very helpful to have supportive people around you. To you know, especially in a time when it was challenging. Sure. I, and I went with it, and thank God I went with it because you know it. Uh, it is who I am. Um, I don't see myself without the beard at all. Uh, it is still growing till today. Uh, you know, I had actually this question the other day. I was like, "Where is it going to grow till? And at what stage? Like, what are we going to do? How long can it go? Uh, how long can it go? And and what am I going to do? You know." But it is who I am, and that's 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 what it is. Mm. You know. Another distinct feature you have, um, which you know I'm super obsessed about, is your hands. Right. You have massive, massive hands. Like, look how look. Let's pick up your hands for a second. This, these are big hands. Yeah, yeah. How do you go about? You never think that a, a guy of your stature would be able to deal with stitching and such minute details. It's really interesting and funny to see you like, you know, you're you're big, you're tall, you're broad. I'll slow down with compliments. I see you're blushing behind that beard of yours. The, <laughs> yet there you know, it's just it's just funny that, you know, you think uh, that you, you don't have any difficulty, you know, threading or stitching. No, or, no. It's funny because I, I think I think my, my grandfather had um, um, who I mentioned was an incredible artist. He had, you know, quite quite large hands and, and long fingers and you know, and he would Focus on very small points with the with sure. the brush and the thin brush and and I know um, it's a question. Yeah, I yeah. find it no, I find it, <laughs> it it works well for me. Thank God. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, when I'm cutting it, definitely, and I have big shears, and it fits well. But I can understand the question when it comes to the, a very fine needle and thread yeah. big hands. But it, it works. well. It works. And they say you know people with big hands have a big heart. Uh, hey. Nice one. Who's somebody that's alive today that you would love to suit up? That you would love to use them as a canvas and dress them up to the best of your of your ability? There's a designer today that, for me, is a is a great inspiration, um, Ralph Lauren. Mm. And obviously, he's a, he's another he's a designer. Uh, he's been making clothing for fifty years, but he's always been an inspiration for me. I've always when, again when I had that journey through women's fashion I would watch his, his shows and and he's always um, been at the back of my mind someone that I would love to meet and sit down for coffee with but if I had the opportunity to make him a suit that would be I think the, the ultimate because I would be making for another designer someone that really appreciates fine art and uh, I think it would be that great experience he would be helping me and through the design as well, it will be that yeah. that kind of. Um, so, Ralph Lauren, if you're listening to this podcast, just know that uh, feel free to reach out to Robert Taylor Nussel, and he'll be more than happy to discuss with you those possibilities. And absolutely, sure. I mean, that, I think that's actually that's really great, Ralph Lauren. And I know we have our own agreement. I'm gonna hold oh, yeah. you up to it. Oh, yeah. When I when I make it to the you know when I go to the red carpet, the Oscars at the Academy, when they ask me who I'm wearing, I'll be able to say I'm wearing Tiffany Burton. But I just want to add one thing. You don't have to wait till the Oscars. 
Ah, that nice. suit will take you to the Oscars. Hey, okay. I like that. You dress for the job that you want. Exactly. I like it. Exactly. I like it. I've got my eyes on this beauty right over here in the back. This is something really nice. Every time I come in here, there's always something new or fresh that's hanging. That is like, oh my god, I want that little kid in a candy shop. And someone for myself, which I don't ideally think I'm into fashion. I mean, I, I clean up nicely. Um, there's always something like some eye candy that come in. Like, wow, that's that's awesome. That's a new thing. I really loved. Your cigar jacket that you had for a little bit, the little nice little pockets shirt, you had for yeah, the cigars, yeah. the shirt. That was very cool. Very creative ways to bring, you know, you're, I always feel like you're always upping and changing up fashion in your own way. Um, practical, comfortable, fashionable designs. Well, that's, a, that's the idea I just wanted to point on that is that you don't have to be really into fashion or something. You know, everybody needs that great blazer, mm. a great sports jacket to wear with jeans or like casual jacket that they could throw on every day. And with jeans or cotton trousers or whatever they wear on a regular basis. So it's not just about making, you know, a suit for that meeting. It's also about making that casual lounge jacket, that casual shirt that that you wear every day and that you want to be comfortable in. That's your go-to jacket because it fits so perfectly and, you know, and you don't even feel like you're wearing it. That's the idea. So you're definitely a trendsetter, I would say, especially in the community. I mean, in the world, it seems like there's not that many people going to bespoke tailoring. And, and you, of course, with your knowledge, with your background, you, you learned, learning from the press, you learned in Salvador and different universities. Um, but do you find that this, there is, do you feel like you perhaps started a trend? Or have you found that there are young people in the Jewish community, or not, that have been reaching out to you and saying, hey, how do I get more into this? How can I learn more? Could you um, can I come work for you and be an intern by you so there there have there there you know there there's definitely a growing um um growing interest in um, in tailoring you know i have some young apprentices working for me a lot of them kind of focus more on the fashion they they're not so into you know working 15 hours a day on on tailoring you know it's not it sounds more. Sometimes it sounds a little bit more glamorous than than it really is. I mean, we're, we're working. You know, I could do it a fifteen-hour day, uh, fourteen hours there. You know, on a regular basis, I'm just stitching, stitching, stitching. So yeah, you do have that interest. You, but then sometimes it's it's like, what truly is that interest? You know, and they, you know, once they realize that maybe it's not for them, maybe mm-hmm. they want to more be a fashion designer versus a tailor. Um, but there is, I, I definitely in the world in general, there is a growing um, interest in tailoring with young tailors around What's the world. What's the biggest, I would say, distinction between being a, a tailor, so tailor, and a designer? So a designer has this concept in mind. He does these these twirls, these mock-ups, less handwork, uh, much less handwork, and just comes up with a design. And a designer, a designer would would have other people, uh, um, you know, stitching and, and doing it for him and. And sometimes even has no idea how it's all come together, but has the concept in mind and like know, the vision. draws it out, puts it on CAD, puts it on uh, the drawings and everything. Um, sometimes, obviously, a, a more knowledgeable t- uh, designer would actually know how it's made, but not necessarily actually make it. And and it's more ready to wear versus tailoring. So instead of eighty hours that go into a suit over here, which we do. There's around uh, 20 hours, um, mm-hmm. so it's 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 all machine made versus handmade. Right. So it's a very different um, concept. It's a very different uh, 
um, piece that you're giving to your client. It's very, and actually the difference between a ready-to-wear garment and a, a bespoke, truly bespoke garment is one is flat and one has got life on its own. The jacket actually has life to it. It's got that shape. It's got the because it's stretched because it's 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 carved. It's it's molded. There is if you have it on the hanger, it's actually you'll see it's got like you mentioned before. Yeah, it's got its has it's got its own it's got its own <laughs> curves exactly yeah. versus something that you make ready to wear. Something that a, most fashion designers would, would would produce. It could be up to great stand. I mean, very high quality workmanship, but it's very flat. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah. So. Right. So that that is that is I mean the difference in, in in obviously fashion as a designer you're able to to really and this is the part that sometimes I do miss is that you're able to really be very creative and and come up with new things the whole time because you know you're sitting there with your design you know and you, your concept and you're putting it down on paper you're talking to a team of people and they're doing it for you and they're coming up with different things and and. Versus here, I'm working with a client. I'm working yeah. with a client. He wants a navy suit, so we got to make him navy suits. He wants ten navy suits. Mm. I make him ten navy suits. So sometimes a little less creativity, but obviously the fact that I'm making, so it's I'm I'm always using right. my creative skills. And I think what's interesting as well is the fusion between these two worlds. You know, Rabbi Taylor and such is that I feel like the. And there's a bit of a shift and change, especially with women's fashion and perhaps the, the forefront for men's fashion, that there's this, uh, there's this idea that modest clothing is bland, boring, black and white. And I know that you, there are some pieces that you work on, the, the traditional kapata or different types of suits that people wear for the holidays. That And I know with women's fashion, there's some few women out there with designers who are bringing nice color and, and modest designs to the women's world. Uh, to the women's world. Um, do you find that you're sort of like leading away in, in, in modest fashion or, or, or like Jewish fashion? I don't know what you would call it, but bringing a certain element that perhaps hasn't been around ever. Um, yes, I, I know because I'm first of all, I'm catering for, for, for Jewish clients and non-Jewish clients and religious clients and non-religious clients. Of, of, you know, it's, it's a very broad, uh, my clientele is, is very diverse, which mm-hmm. I love. Um, so... I don't know if I'm setting trends, but I am definitely helping, I say push boundaries, but helping even young religious uh, um, people kind of go with a different shade blue than they would use or, or, go, or go with a different, you know, go out there a little bit. And um, uh, that's definitely something that, I'm, that I'm, I'm proud to do. I'm not a black and white person. Um, my colors are definitely not black and white. And I'm definitely here to... To, to help anybody that wants to, you know, go get a little color explore. in their life and and uh, explore different different designs and different patterns and different color for anybody from any religion from any you know any background. That's the so. What would you uh, share with uh, a young person who's you know torn or who has ideas of following a passion or a career? that may be, you know, feeling that they're being stopped either by outside forces, internal forces that they're not good enough or it's maybe not conducive for their lifestyle. What, what, what would you share from your own experience that, you know, that you could give them some tips about going forth? you got to, like, bringing that Singapore, bringing, you got to surround yourself by people that are motivated, by people that, that have vision, that have a drive, that, have, that are successful. Surround yourself by by those kind of people, you got to just find circles 
wherever they are, uh, and get yourself in it, and 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 you know, and get inspiration from it, and then follow your dreams, stick with them, make it happen. There, because there is definitely ways of making different dreams happen, uh, from from you know, from every angle, and and uh, you just gotta you know. If it's if if you're struggling from a religious perspective, you could definitely make it happen. From my experience, being in a non-Jewish environment um, f- throughout different companies in Asia and in London, and surrounding myself in non-Jewish, non-religious circles, um, if you're proud of who you are and and respect what you're doing and why you're doing it. And always be open to explaining why you're doing it. Sure. Others will respect it 100%. And you'll be surprised how much they respect it and support mm. you in it. And I think that's that helps you to continue your dreams and, and, and to push yourself further. Because now you've, you've, you have yeah, support around to being it. who you are yes. to, to continue. I think that's, that's key. Mm. What are some short-term, long-term projects that Tiverburn, the brand, is working on now? So at the moment we have our bespoke, um, you know, our, our level, our, which starts at forty-two hundred dollars. Okay, made nice. in house, like I said, from beginning to end. We are going to be launching soon, and we've already taken clients for it. A lower range, we say lower range, but it's it's I'm working with a factory, and it's finished in house. Um, it starts uh, in the two thousand dollar range and twenty-two hundred dollars. Um, you know, people say sometimes you know forty two hundred dollars. It's cr- crazy, but uh, like in reality, crazy. in reality, it's not crazy at all. Um, you know, you have three to four fittings. There's around three to four five month wait right now for for a suit at the bespoke level. Oh, wow. um, there is a tremendous amount of work that goes into each suit. So and it's something that will last you. It's something that will last you. Obviously, depending on the fabric, you could get in really, really expensive fabric, and I could make it for you, and it could last uh, in a, in a week. You know, if you wore it five times. But it's very much about the fabric choice, and and obviously, the, if it's the right fabric, the, the suit like this could last you, and your children could wear it too. Mm. Long term, um, what do you see Tiffany going? Doing women's tailoring, potentially ready to wear. Um, I have a dream to have a hotel with Tiffany Brin, you know, brand in it. So mm. not just to to keep it in the tailoring at some point, but to develop the brand into into something. Tasteful, something that uh, represents uh, people in all, but that 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 you know that that people could have and and, and wear and sit on and and, and in all capacities. In all capacities, yeah. yeah. It's a taste that I want to bring out. It's the tailoring is one aspect to it, but it's more the taste and the that that and the passion that I want to bring to people. It's just the beginning. Just the beginning. My man, I love it. I knew from the beginning, you've got passion, you got heart, and also it's good to be seeing your journey blossom and continue and going to new new places and new and new ways. So all the best to you. Haslach on everything that you do. It's a real, real pleasure to have you on the podcast. We definitely have to do it again because we just only, we only got the tip of your story and all the incredible things that you're up to. So thanks for taking the time. Thanks for the coffee. And... Uh, yeah, we'll catch you in the next one. Thank you so much, man. Where can, everybody, where can everybody find you? Um, social media, Rabbi Taylor. On, on, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram, Facebook. At Rabbi Taylor. And the company is uh, Tiefenbrin. Um, How spell that? So it's T-I-E-F-E-N-B-R-U-N. 
And uh, on social media, it, I add NYC at it. So it's at T from Red NYC. And Boom. that's the website as well. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right. Above and beyond, my friend. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you. We made it to the end of another podcast. I would love to thank my main man and my good friend, Yussel Tifferbrun, for being on the show. And, of course, you can check out all his incredible work on Instagram, online, at Rabbi Taylor or at Tiffenbrun. And thank you, yes, you, the listener, for being here, for your support and love. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And I'd love to hear your feedback. And feel free to share this with family and friends um, that you feel like would enjoy these podcasts as well. So, like I always say, say it with me. You know what's coming up. (laughs) Stay positive. Be happy. I'm Mayor Kay. And have a great day.